The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature, which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself. If you dare, come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 16. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. In tonight's episode, we'll join author T.W. Grimm in a gruesome descent to the depths of depravity and the edge of madness. You're listening to the standard edition of this program... If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now... Allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Now that you've made yourselves comfortable, gather round the upturned stone, but don't look too close, as what lies beneath might seek out a new home in you. Without further ado, from author T.W. Grimm, I give you The Summer of 79.
When I pulled the van up to the curb in front of Trinity House, my first thought was something along the lines of, Oh, really? I must have the wrong address. My second thought was, I don't want to go in there. Closely followed by, This is a bad place. I'd always assumed that a group home for psychiatric patients would be a little more modern and, well, official-looking. But this place was straight from the cover art of a gothic horror novel. It was a brooding old relic from the Victorian era. Several thousand square feet of curling shingles, crumbling brick, and decaying stone foundation... From what I could see at just a casual glance, Trinity House would probably need tens of thousands of dollars in renovations to pass an inspection. I could scarcely believe that they'd managed to avoid having the building outright condemned by the safety coat inspector. The woman who answered the door looked to be somewhere in her late twenties. She was short, chubby, almost frothing with false enthusiasm. Her smile was a beam of wholesome sunshine, but her eyes were cloudy and distant. She looked like the sort of person who practices smiling in the mirror. She glanced at the Sal's electric logo on my jacket and chirped, You must be the electrician. You're so early. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. Come on in. The front entrance opened into a mudroom that was lined on both sides by an eclectic array of ratty-looking coats each of them dangling from an identical plastic hook. The baseboard was boarded by a straggling line of Walmart brand footwear. The mudroom stank like mothballs and feet. So, my name's Marla. I'm the personal support worker on the day shift. Anything you need, just ask. Marla extended her freckled little paw in the same manner a queen might proffer her hand to be kissed by a visiting dignitary. With her dimpled knuckles facing the ceiling and her fingers limply curled towards her palm, I shook it awkwardly and said, My name's Brent. I'm pleased to meet you. She beckoned me to follow and took off at a brisk pace in her white New Balance sneakers. I staggered after her. My toolbox is bouncing off each leg in a painful rhythm as I struggle to keep up. I was led down a short hallway that opened into a sparsely furnished living room, a cavernous space with a vaulted ceiling and dingy wallpaper. Despite the fact that one wall was dominated by two enormous picture windows, the room was somehow still dim and thick with shadows. A small group of residents were gathered in front of an old flat-screen TV, all of them sitting on folding chairs that had been arranged in two razor-straight lines. Some of them looked over at us with startled expressions as we bustled past, alarmed by the outsider who had suddenly burst into their midst. Marla pushed through a swinging door at the far end of the room, and I found myself standing in a sad little kitchen. The linoleum was spider-webbed with chips and cracks and the appliances had all seen their best days back when people were still dancing the Macarena. Breakfast was laid out on some mismatched serving trays, eleven plastic bowls filled with lumpy oatmeal. Each bowl was accompanied by a slice of burnt toast and a styrofoam cup of instant coffee. It looked awful. 
This way. Watch your step coming down. I was led through another door and down a steep flight of creaky wooden stairs. The concrete floor was damp at the bottom. I dropped my toolboxes with little grunts of relief and wrinkled my nose. It stank overpoweringly of mildew and wet cardboard boxes. I took out my flashlight and had a look at the exposed floor joists overhead. I could barely make out the old wiring and ceramic knobs through the multiple layers of cobwebs. I felt a shiver run down my spine. I hate spiders. I fucking loathe spiders. Marla clapped her hands together with a moist little splut and said, I should get this out of the way right now, I guess. Most of our residents are harmless, but Mr. Reinhardt has a different story. Fortunately for the rest of us, Douglas doesn't leave his room very often. He spends most of his time staring at the bird feeder outside his window. If at all possible, I'd advise that you avoid him. I say, oh, thanks for the heads up. I waited for Marla to leave. She leaned up against a support pillar and stayed right where she was staring at me without blinking. Her smile was gone. Just to clarify what I'm saying, Mr. Reinhardt isn't physically dangerous. Not anymore. It's more, well, it's more the things he says. He's very intuitive, and he uses this to say the most horrible things. He suffers from some very strange delusions. She lowered her voice to a husky stage whisper and added, Mr. Reinhardt's health is frail. His time is coming to an end. To be quite frank, it will be a relief to us all. He's an awful man. I pointedly cleared my throat and interjected, You know, I, I should really get started here. Marla emphatically shook her head no at my dismissal and leaned closer. The intensity behind her gaze was unnerving. He's an awful man, she repeated. And he says awful things. Don't respond to him. If you have to go into his room, just announce yourself, get it done, and get out of there. I didn't know what to say to this, so I offered her a little shrug and sighed. Lady, I'm an electrician, not a therapist. I'm not getting paid to have conversations with people. Don't worry about it. Marla nodded her approval and finally retreated upstairs to serve her cold breakfast. When she was gone, the first order of business was to destroy the nasty shroud of multi-layered spiderwebs that was hanging mere inches above the top of my head. I brushed them away with an old corn broom I found leaning in a corner, grimacing and trying not to screech every time a live spider performed a kamikaze dive and sprinted across the floor. I shone my flashlight around and grumbled to myself. As I'd expected, some long-ago home improvement enthusiast had left a confusing clusterfuck in their wake. It looked like most of the old knob and tube was still there running almost cheek to jowl alongside the newer wiring. It was a mess. Nothing ever easy, I told the corn broom. The trailing tangles of spider silk that were caught at the edge of the bristles made the broom look a bit like an unkempt old man. 
and I had to smile a little. Your name is Douglas, I announced, in honor of the boogeyman that lives upstairs. Once it had a name, the room became unsettlingly anthropomorphic in the gloom. A wizened old face glaring at me from beneath a cloud of silvery hair. I leaned it against the wall and wiped my hands on my pants. He's an awful man, I thought. And suddenly, Douglas the corn broom didn't seem funny anymore. I hid it behind the furnace where it wouldn't be able to see me, and I got to work. Trinity House seemed to ooze a kind of sour, mildewed energy that matched the smell of the peeling wallpaper. I couldn't imagine struggling against the grim specter of mental illness in such a dreary place. A surreal environment of dim lighting, long shadows, and oppressive silence. I wanted out of there as soon as possible. I kicked into high gear and moved along at a brisk pace and it wasn't long before there was only one outlet left to replace. However, as my shit luck would have it, the outlet was located in the proverbial lion's den, Mr. Reinhardt's room. Just a few more minutes worth of work, I thought, and then I'd be zooming back to the shop with the radio blasting and fresh air ripping through the windows. How bad could it be? I took a peek through Mr. Reinhardt's open door before knocking, hoping to get a sense of the man before I had to actually deal with him. There was a neatly made single bed tucked into a corner, bookended by a mismatching dresser and nightstand. A small table and chair set was stuffed into the opposite corner. There was a cactus plant at the table. The room smelled strongly of carpet shampoo, and beneath that, the sour tang of old piss. A thin cloud of wispy, silvery hair was poking into view from behind the back of a plush rocking chair, a big-box store cheapie that had been positioned to face the room's only window. There was a heart-stopping instant where I actually believed that it was Douglas the corn broom propped up in the chair, and I almost bolted before I realized the owner of the diaphanous hair cloud was faintly grumbling to himself. I hovered in the doorway and listened for a while granting the old man a silent audience for his rambling stream of consciousness diatribe against all that lay beyond the walls of his room. I had a feeling that this was his favorite pastime. When I felt that I probably heard enough of his verbal attack on humanity at large, I politely coughed and rapped on the doorframe. I announced my presence in a loud, clear voice, carefully enunciating my words as I spoke. Hello, Mr. Reinhardt? Hello? My name's Brent. I just need to pop in for a few minutes and replace the old tandem outlet in the corner. The grumbling abruptly ceased, but the cloud of hair didn't stir or move in the slightest. The image of a cobweb-encrusted broom popped back into my mind, unwelcome and unbidden. It was Douglas the broom after all, laying rigidly against the chair and gazing blindly out the window while it waited for its special guest to arrive. It would be smiling its vapid corn broom smile at nothing and no one and nowhere at all, just smiling away and lurking with a predator's steady patience, waiting for me to come on in and close the door behind me. Of course, that was completely ridiculous, wasn't it? 
I let ten seconds tick by before I knocked a second time and started to repeat my introduction. I was interrupted by a hoarse, papery voice that hissed. I heard you the first time, you goddamned idiot. I'm not deaf. Get in here. Do what you're gonna do. I felt my cheeks flush red. I mumbled a sheepish apology and got to work. Mr. Reinhardt didn't bother to respond. The only sounds in the room were the labored gurgle of his breathing, the skittering rustle of wire being pulled, and the occasional whirr from my driver. The silence was thick with unspoken malice. I'd never felt so profoundly uncomfortable in my entire life. I was just about to install the faceplate and get the hell out of there when Mr. Reinhardt's angry, rasping hiss unexpectedly drilled into my ears again, making me flinch and drop a screw. I saw what you did. I paused and turned his words over in my mind, puzzling over their meaning. I had no idea what he was talking about. Speaking slowly and carefully, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure what you mean by that. I saw what you were up to in the office, shithead. I gaped uncomprehendingly at the back of his chair. I had a sinking feeling that things were about to get unpleasant. What are you talking about? I saw you go in the office and rummage through the medication cart. Stealing pills is my guess. All these pill junkies running around these days, it's a goddamn disgrace. My heart started beating a little faster in my chest, and I felt my mouth go dry. I dragged my tongue over my lips and said, I didn't do that. I didn't even go in there. I know that. <coughs> Mr. Reinhardt barked, and he choked out a ragged fit of coughing. When it passed, he wheezed. <laughs> it won't matter. I'll call the cops and tell them you did it. We got a phone downstairs we can use. I was speechless. I picked up the fallen screw and installed the wall plate with hands that weren't quite steady. The old bastard couldn't possibly be serious. Why would he do such a thing? You got nothing to say for yourself? What do you want? Are you trying to blackmail me? What is this? I could feel panic mounting in my chest. The old man wasn't joking. He was dead fucking serious. No, nothing like that. I just want you to grab a chair and come sit down for a spell. A pale, wispy hand popped into view. It had motioned at the table set in the corner. Put one of them chairs over here and have a seat. I snorted in disbelief and started gathering my tools. Actually sit around and visit with this fucking guy? Hell no. I said, Yeah, I don't think so, old man. I'm gonna leave now. You'll do it, but the cops come pounding on your door with a warrant. Mr. Reinhardt corrected me. He sounded like he was smiling. Stealing medications from the mentally disabled. That's pretty low, bud. You'll be lucky if you don't take a tumble down some stairs when they haul you in for booking. I snapped. Yeah, except I didn't do that. They won't find your pills because I don't fucking have them. Mr. Reinhardt chuckled at my panic and said... Oh, we already talked about that, son. I know you don't got those pills. Because it was me what took them. 
You do what I tell you to do, and I'll put them back. I couldn't believe my ears. I sputtered. And if I just walk out of here, you'll still put them back? I didn't do anything wrong here, and I... It don't matter, he interjected. You got a history, bud? I know you do. They'll get a search warrant and they'll find enough pills in your house to put you away for a decade. I froze just as still as a statue and stared at the back of his chair. I licked my dry lips and whispered, What did you say? You bet your ass the cops will seize that cargo van while they're at it. They'll completely strip the interior. Slash open the seats and tear out the headliner, the dashboard. They'll tear out every goddamn thing. What do you think your boss is going to say about that? I stayed silent, but I knew exactly what Sal would say if the police came bursting into his office to demand the keys. You're fired. That's what he'd say. He'd squint up at me from the business side of that big cluttered desk and he'd say... I gave you a chance and you fucking blew it. Get the fuck out of my shop, you're fired. Out of a job and back in the clink, the old man crooned. By Jesus, what a mess. If only there was some way out. How do you know about any of that? I demanded, and my voice cracked. How did you know anything about me at all? The old man ignored me and continued to wax poetic on the subject of my ruination. The neighbors, he said. All the neighbors will come out to watch them frog march you into the back of a cruiser. They'll talk about it for years. The court of public opinion and all that. No one will remember if you were guilty or innocent. But they'll always remember seeing you in handcuffs. What is it that you want? What's the purpose of this? Mr. Reinhardt made an impatient sound at the back of his throat and muttered, I told you already. Grab a chair and sit down. I want to tell you something. My nemesis paused to endure another violent spasm of death rattle hacking and wheezing. It was painful to hear. I could only imagine how it felt. When it was over, he spat a wad of black-tinted goop into a small garbage can beside his chair. Fuck! He gasped. Dirty fucking cocksucker, does that ever hurt? I thought, okay, it's time to walk out of here. But I didn't do that. Instead, I grabbed myself a chair and carried it over to the window. There wasn't any other choice. Douglas Reinhardt wasn't long for the world. I could see that he'd been a big man back in his prime, but terminal illness had whittled him down into a cadaverous shadow. He was wearing an old work shirt that looked like a faded green tarp on his skeletal frame. It was sloppily tucked into a pair of khaki pants that were big enough for three of him. The old man's face was a hollow-eyed death mask beneath the thin whirl of his hair. A mummified bobblehead that wobbled unsteadily atop a crooked twig of a neck. He snapped, What the fuck are you staring at, jackass? And reached for a can of non-alcoholic beer that was sweating away on a car table beside him, wincing at the effort. He was clutching a portable oxygen cylinder in his other hand, 
cradling it protectively against his bony chest as if it were a sleeping infant. Put the fucking chair down and sit your ass on top of it. Stay a while. Once again, I bit my tongue and did as I was told. Mr. Reiner took a careful swig from his near beer and assessed me with sunken bloodshot eyes. He looked exactly as he'd sounded, like an elderly rattlesnake in a permanently foul mood. Mr. Reinhardt may have been dying, but his blunted old fangs were still dripping venom. He grunted. What's your name again, kid? Didn't catch it. Wasn't paying attention. My name's Brent, I said, and I threw in a sarcastic. Pleased to meet you. The old man skinned back his shoestring lips in a gap-toothed smile. He said, Fuck you and your belly-aching Brent. You got lots of time. You got all afternoon. You got your entire fucking life. Not me. My life got taken away from me. He took another sip of his watery placebo and put it back on the table. His emaciated stick arm was trembling slightly from the strain of holding the can. You been doing electric for very long, kid? Few years. Started my apprenticeship after I, I stopped myself right there. I was about to say, after I got out. The old man twitched the corners of his mouth in a knowing smirk. Me? I was a contractor and general handyman. Had my own business. Built fences and sun decks and the occasional roofing job. Life was pretty good. We weren't rich, but my wife never had to work. I wouldn't allow it. A woman's place is in the home. Mr. Reinert saw the look on my face and waved it off, an arrogant, dismissive gesture that pretty much said everything I needed to know about him. I never raised a hand to her, not once in nine years. I wasn't an abusive man, never was. She minded herself and the kids. I kept us afloat, and life was pretty good. But in the summer of 79, it all went to shit. He trailed off, staring morosely at his broomstick legs while his breath whistled in and out of his nose. I shifted around in my chair and waited. It started out with a robbery, he said. Someone broke into my shed when we were going into town. Bunch of my tools got stolen. They got my table saw and my good socket set, too. I had to spend most of my savings to replace it all. It wasn't insured. The cops barely even gave a shit when I made the report. They just shrugged and told me that it happens all the time. Next, it was the truck. The body was rotting out in a few spots, and one of the front bearings was starting to go, but I was planning to take care of all that later in the summer. But then the son of a bitch started leaking oil all over the place, and I knew I was probably up shit creek. I got under there and seen that just about all the seals decided to crap out at the same time, and the oil pan too. I could hardly believe it. The truck just wasn't worth the trouble no more, so I scrapped the old girl and picked up a used van at a dealership. They fucked me on the financing, but I didn't have any money to put down, and I was fucked without it. 
Mr. Reinhardt's eyes went muddy with anger. The memory of this outrage still burned hot and fresh in his laboring old heart. It wasn't long after that when I started seeing things out of the corner of my eye, he said, and the bloodless slash of his mouth tucked itself into a sour crescent. At first it would only happen after dark. I'd see them when I was focused on something in front of me. You know, reading the paper or watching the tube, something like that. They'd scurry across my peripheral vision. Just a quick glimpse from the corner of my eye. I'd whip my head around real quick to try and catch a better look at him, but there wouldn't be nothing there. The old man glared at me, clearly expecting some kind of response. I didn't know what he wanted me to say, so I asked, What did these things look like? I mean, as far as you could tell. He considered my question with a grave expression, struggling to find an adequate comparison that I would be able to understand. He said, Well, they didn't buzz around like a fly or a skeeter. Nothing like that. They would actually run around in thin air, darting past my head on all these fast little legs like a... like a spider, I guess. Well, they didn't look like spiders. Not exactly, but it's close enough. An instant chill pricked up the hair on the back of my neck. Mr. Reinert nodded and smirked a little at my discomfort. This went on for a couple of weeks before I couldn't take it no more, he said. I went to see an eye doctor. He told me it was a retinal detachment. Just a few tiny little tears way back inside each eye. He said it wasn't nothing serious. I was just seeing shadows from the tears. He said there wasn't nothing he could... He... Oh, sweet Jesus! <laughs> when it was over, the old man spat a fat, murky glob into his trash can, and he wiped the tears from his eyes with a bitter and resentful kind of shame. It was hot that summer, he wheezed. Hottest one in years. In those days, air conditioners weren't cheap. You'd open all the windows and put on the fans, but it was stinking hot in that house. You know? Just ignorant in there. It made you half crazy. The sweat always rolling down your face and your shirt sticking to your back. Flo kept bugging me to cough up for a couple window shakers. Said the heat was driving her nuts. It wasn't in the budget. We couldn't afford it. But she didn't want to believe that. I said, Well, maybe you should have walked her through the finances then. Sat her down and had a discussion. A discussion, the old man repeated, and he shook his head in mock wonderment. You haven't never been married yet. When a woman decides that she wants something, her ears stop working. There isn't going to be a discussion... No. I just tried to do the Christian thing and suffer them in silence. Flo, the spiders, the kids always hollering at each other, all of it! But it was impossible. His hands clenched into skeletal fists. He shook one in the air and said, There I'd be, trying to watch the television, with Flo bitching in my ear and sweat dripping into the crack of my ass, and I'd see him. 
out of the corner of my eye. I'd see them running around, scurrying over top each other, so many of them. More and more every night. And would Flo ever shut the fuck up? <sighs> would she ever? Good Christ, it was constant! Just blah, blah, blah. This, and why can't we have that? And then the kids would start yapping at me, too. And that really got my goat. <sighs> I knew they were just following after their mother, but I'd be damned if I didn't want to slap the taste out of their mouths. I fidgeted at the edge of my chair and looked longingly at the door. Mr. Reinhardt saw this and snorted. Don't look over there. Look at me. I'm talking to you. I forced myself to scoot back in my seat. I'm listening, I said. I don't have much choice, do I? The old man fixed me with a baleful stare and continued on like he'd never been interrupted. I tell him, stop your whining. I didn't have no air conditioning when I was your age. We didn't even have a goddamn indoor toilet. So just think about that. I would shut them up for a while, but flow. Oh, she never shut up. If it wasn't an air conditioner, it was something else. She wanted a bigger TV. She wanted a dishwasher. She wanted to go shopping for some new clothes. And how the fuck was that supposed to help? How was that supposed to put money in the bank? Mr. Reiner paused to wet his whistle. He studied the can, turning it relentlessly in his hands. Things were looking bad, he said. I spent the last of our savings on a down payment for that horseshit deal of a van. It got to the point where I was thinking I'd have to remortgage the house. But then I landed a contract to put up about 600 feet of privacy fence for a fella named Elton Hyde. And it was a godsend. Now everyone knew Elton Hyde was a grade A died in the wool son of a bitch. He was an upper management down at the paper mill, and he liked to throw his weight around town. The man was an asshole, but I needed the work. So there I was, digging holes for the fence posts out in this bastard's front yard, and sweet Jesus, was I ever sweating under that sun. It had to be 90 degrees out there by 9 o'clock. I was soaked right through, boots and all. Elk comes waddling out of his house, and I see that he's scowling away while he's inspecting my work. I come over and ask if everything's okay, and he barks at me. Hell no! You got these holes veering off at an angle. Can't you see that? Mr. Reinert stared out the window, brooding darkly over the memory of this insult. Slowly, he said, No, I'd come out there the day before and measured it all out. Twice. And I made damn sure that the stakes marking the post holes all lined up straight as an arrow. But he was right. The goddamn holes I dug were staggered on an angle. I didn't know what to say. I told him that I'd fix it. And old out crowds in right close to me and huffs. You're damn right you'll fix it. Or you'll pay someone else to do it out of your own pocket. I don't give a rat's ass which one it is. Just get it done. I watched the beefy bastard stomp back up to his house and slam the door. 
All I could think was, I bet you got central air in there. And suddenly I realize that I can see them out of the corner of my eye. The spiders. Right in broad daylight, there they were. Running around in the air on either side of my head. Dozens. Maybe even hundreds of them. I'd never seen so many before. It scared me. I started walking to the van and they followed me. Just like a cloud of horseflies chasing after some poor old nag in a pen. I jumped in the van and they came right in after me. Swarming around my head in a cloud. And I lost my mind. I started swatting at them. Hollering. Get away from me. Leave me the fuck alone. <coughs> Mr. Reinhardt paused to hack up another payload of mucus plugs and spat them in the garbage in rapid succession. Puh. 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 The sound they made when they hit the bottom of the can made me feel faintly nauseous. Right then, just as I'm losing my goddamn mind and swinging at the air, a rusted-out old Crown Vic comes roaring by at twenty over the limit. It's some long-haired kid with his stereo blaring at top volume. I was too busy fighting all the fucking spiders to hear him coming, so it kind of gave me a start when the kid comes slamming past with his music so loud. When I turned to look at him, one of those nasty cocksuckers jumped on my face and ran right into my ear. I made a strangled little sound in my throat, and I resisted the urge to reach up and take a swipe at the side of my head. The rational part of my mind knew that Mr. Reinert's spiders were just a delusion. But the part that was ruled by primal fear didn't give a fuck about any of that. Spiders. It gibbered. Fucking spiders running into your fucking ear. Jesus Christ almighty. What a horror show. I cut my own head off. I'd fucking jump into a bonfire. Holy shit, it moved so fast. He murmured. And he delicately touched the hollow where his jawline met his earlobe. It was just a split second in zoom. There it goes. Right into my ear. I felt an itch way down in there for a second. And then I smelled something in the air. Like a mix of burning toast and ozone. And then it hits me. All at once. Hits me like a slap in the face. It was as if a fog had lifted. And I could finally see... The old man ruefully shook his head as if he was still amazed by how blind he'd been to something that had been so glaringly obvious. It was him, he snarled. It was that pimple-faced son of a bitch in the Crown Vic who fucked up my post holes. How long was he watching me? How long was he waiting for his chance to sabotage my work? And then he comes driving by to gloat at me, to laugh at me, while I sat there and lost my fucking mind. I knew it was him. I knew it like I know my own name. I fired up the van and chased after the little bastard, caught up to him at a four-way stop and swerved around him to block the intersection. 
I run up to his window and the kid looks scared, like he already knows that he's done for. He pokes his head out his window and yells, Hey, what the fuck is your problem, man? Like he didn't know what he'd done to me. Hey, maybe he didn't, I ventured. I mean, maybe. Mr. Reinert stuck his chin out and spat. Bullshit. He knew. I didn't even have to say anything. I just ran up and hammered him as hard as I could in the nose. I felt it explode under my fist. His head flopped back on his skinny little neck. And I grabbed a fistful of that long, greasy hair. He was slapping at my arm and squealing, Somebody help me. In his real high, girlish voice. And somehow that pissed me off even more. I started pounding his face in with my free hand. Just driving it in there. Hard as I could. The kid went limp after the second punch, but I didn't stop. I couldn't stop. His blood was on my shirt. But I still couldn't stop. It wouldn't. The old man trailed off. But I knew what he was going to say. He was about to say, It wouldn't let me. Did you kill him? Is that why you're here? Well, not at the time. Although I was aiming to. He smiled. I wish I had. I felt a chill skitter up my spine at his matter-of-fact tone, completely nonchalant. As if beating someone to death with your bare hands is just something that happens every now and then. I'd known some real psychos during my stint in jail, and the frail old man sitting before me was as dangerously unbalanced as the worst of them. Some old biddy stuck her head out of the front door and started yelling that she was going to call the cops. I fed the kid one last haymaker and told her, You better get the fuck back in that house, you nosy old bitch! The old bat took a good look at me and seen that I meant business. Her eyes got real big behind her glasses, and she popped back through the door like a prairie dog. I'll bet she never moved so fast before in her life. <laughs> the kid was still kind of just dangling halfway out his window. I ripped off his side mirror and bounced the fucking thing off the back of his skull. I told him, Get out of town, cocksucker. Don't let me see you again. He just groaned and kept bleeding. I was five minutes down the road before I passed a couple cruisers ripping the other way with their cherries on. I pulled over to let them pass, just like a good citizen. He paused to take another breather, and I realized that, despite the fact that the old bastard made my skin crawl, I was becoming morbidly captivated by his story. Listening to him was like, Watching an 18-wheeler slowly drift over the double yellow and into oncoming traffic, I knew that the outcome was going to be disastrous. But I could not look away. Where did you go from there? I asked, and the mad joy at beating the shit out of his long-ago rival faded from his eyes. Home, he said. 
I figured the cops would be looking for my van, but they wouldn't be looking very hard. Not over some dope fiend with hair halfway down his back. The best thing to do was head home and wait for morning. I never thought there'd be a reason to look over my shoulder in my own goddamn house. I was wrong. This episode of Horror Hill is proudly brought to you by BetterHelp, the largest network of professional, licensed, and vetted counselors that you can trust. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Of course, I've had plenty of difficult periods in my life. Whenever I look back on the years, I just remember these times when I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere or really with anyone. Don't get me wrong, I had friends, I had good friends, but it's not the same as having somebody who understands you or wants to understand you. During those isolated periods of my life, uh, finding a therapist or a counselor just seemed so remote. Like, where do you start? It's expensive, too. And I guess I just went on feeling lost. I'll tell you, if I could do any of those periods again, I would certainly take advantage of a service like BetterHelp. BetterHelp works by assessing your needs and matching you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas and the service is available to clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelm is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelm wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Here's an example from a real BetterHelp customer. I've only been working with my therapist for a few weeks, but already I feel like things are different. If nothing else, I am seeing that my thoughts and emotions are valid. I also feel like I'm talking with someone who understands and could help me navigate those issues. I've been on BetterHelp before, but this therapist has been the most help by far. Another review simply reads, I love her, she's fantastic, or she's wonderful, or the best counselor so far. So don't wait on being happier. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hill, that's BetterHelp, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And don't forget the special offer for Horror Hill listeners that get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Hill. Thanks for giving BetterHelp a try today, and for your support of this program and the sponsors that make it possible. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start 
But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Mr. Reinhardt looked stricken. He fiddled with his oxygen tank with trembling hands. Flo didn't even look up from the tube when I shuffled to the front door. He wheezed. She stared at the screen and said, You're early. I mumbled something about it being too hot out there and made a beeline for the laundry room. I scrubbed most of the blood out of my shirt in the laundry sink and tossed it in the washer. There was a real bad stink coming off me. A stench like burning wires. And my head was aching something awful. My hands were swelling up too, and it hurt like a bastard. All I wanted was a beer and a shower. Everything else could wait a goddamn minute. I started for the bathroom and something on the floor caught my eye. It was just barely poking out from underneath the dryer. I fished it out and saw that it was a receipt for a box of decon. I thought to myself, well shit, we got some rats. And I dropped back on the floor. I didn't want to think about anything except a cold beer. I drank one standing in front of the open fridge, and then I drank another one, took a long, cold shower, and lay down in our bed with the fan pointed at my face to keep the sweat from pooling in my ears. I was just about to doze off when I realized that Flo never said anything about us having a rat problem. Never even mentioned it. Mr. Reinert shook his head and stabbed the air between us with an accusatory finger. Flo was always a good wife to me before that stinking hot summer came along. He croaked. Always was. But let me tell you something. That woman hadn't done nothing but complain for weeks on end. She'd bitch about every damn thing you could imagine. She complained so much you'd think it was a fucking job. But she never even made a peep about a rat infestation. It wasn't right. I knew that it wasn't right. I figured I'd worried about it later and tried to relax. But I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, it was like a slideshow. I'd see the receipt for the decon. Then the hippie with his face all busted up. Then I'd see that receipt again. Flow kept popping up. And Elton, too. I couldn't tell if they were laughing or screaming. I think they were doing both. The look in his eyes made my skin crawl. They were crackling with old, smoldering rage. A fury that would not and could not be abated. Not ever. Mr. Reinhardt could live to be 10,000 years old and that fever would still be boiling away in the black cauldron of his heart. 
Douglas Reinert may or may not have been suffering from a break from reality, but there was no doubt that his soul was twisted beyond redemption. He was really and truly damned. The corner of the old man's mouth curled into a sneer, as if he could read my thoughts. He held up his can in a sarcastic salute and said, You think you know, don't you? You don't know shit, cocksucker. None of you know shit. Y'all flutter through life on your tippy toes, all smiles, and who gives a goddamn while you fiddle-fuck your way around town, and what? What do you know? Trusting as a child, all of you, and you don't know shit-fuck at all. Mr. Reiner tapped the side of his skull and grinned a humorless grin. But I know, he gasped. I know the darkness, Brent. You better believe it. He slumped back into his chair, his face slowly tinging a light shade of purple as he struggled to catch his breath. In the silence, I finally admitted to myself that I was afraid of him. He was an awful man, and he was prone to saying awful things. But it was far more than that. Douglas Reinhardt was tainted. I could almost smell his decaying humanity beneath the stringent bite of the antiseptic they had used to clean up his incontinent piss puddles. He scared me very badly. And how, exactly, did Mr. Reinhardt know about the legal troubles in my past? How did he know I was still doing the thing that got me locked up in the first place? He didn't even know my fucking name, so how? The old man grimaced at the pain in his chest and struggled to sit up straight in his chair. I had another beer for supper that night, he said. I watched the eleven o'clock news to see if they'd mentioned anything about... Hmm. You know, what happened. But they didn't say nothing about it. Flo came and stood in the doorway for a while with her arms crossed. I could feel her looking at me, but I pretended like I didn't notice. She stood there and watched me for a good long while before she made a big show of clearing her throat to get my attention. I thought she'd ask me if I wasn't feeling so good or something like that. But nope. All she said was, You sleeping out here tonight? I says, yep, I think so. And I'll be goddamned if she didn't look relieved. My own wife didn't want me in the bed with her no more. Nine years of marriage, two kids, and a life I'd carved out for us with my own hands. It was over. And why? Why? That lost, bewildered expression flitted across his features once again, there and gone, in a split second. And then BOOM! All at once the spiders are back! And they weren't just crawling around beside my head this time, HELL NO! They're all over the fucking walls, the ceiling, every goddamn place! Thousands of them! The whole fucking room was swarming with the bastards, and I could hear them. I could actually hear the sound of all their little feet pitter-pattering against nothing at all. 
At the same time, that itch came back, something fierce, just burning away in the back of my brain, so fucking hot that my eyes started watering. Flo sees the look on my face and asks, Are you okay? And it was all casual, you know? Like there wasn't any reason to be freaking out, because there weren't six thousand invisible bugs running through the air and one scratching around inside my brain like it wasn't hot enough in there to fry an egg at a fucking coffee table. (coughs) 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 Mr. Reinert shook his head in grave disappointment. Well, when she said that, hell, I don't know. I didn't even think about it. I just popped right up like a jack-in-the-box and belted her in the mouth. I watched in silence as he took a quivering breath from his oxygen tank. He chased the canned air with a slurp from his near beer and spat into the garbage can. She fell straight back and her head bounced off the doorframe. The old man wheezed. I grabbed her up by the front of her nightgown before she could fall and I shook her like a rag doll. It ripped at the seams and she started to cry. I could see blood on her teeth and God help me. I was glad that I'd made her bleed. I was glad. Because I... Mr. Reinert's words faltered in the dry, withered flap of his tongue... He blinked back a shimmer of tears, and for just a brief instant, I could see the human being trapped inside the rotting cage of the monster he'd become. A man that was once a child who'd played at his mother's feet. A man who tried to live his life and love his own to the best of his narrow ability. Because you knew, I said, and he nodded. The sorrow in his eyes was almost painful to see. Almost. Because, even though Mr. Reinert was likely a very sick man, he was also a very bad man. An awful man. And in the summer of 79, he had done awful things. She was against me, the old man croaked. He was talking at his hands, which were clenched together between his bulbous knees and a tight, bony knot. It was plain as day that my own wife hated my guts. And she always had. She was biding her time all those years, just playing her part and pretending to be a good wife to me. I didn't want to believe it. But I knew that it was true. I hauled her in close, almost nose to nose, and I told her, You don't fool me no more. Do you understand? You don't fool me. Go clean yourself up and don't you dare wake those kids. Don't you fucking dare. You're a charming fella, aren't you? I muttered. A spark flickered in the old man's eyes and he leaned forward in his chair. Almost by reflex, I cowered away from the possibility of his touch. I didn't want him to touch me. He was unclean. 
It's because I lived such a charming life, Mr. Reinert snarled. How's about you shut the fuck up and let me talk? How's that sound? I tried to look him directly in the eye in a meek show of defiance, but I failed. Mr. Reinert shook a warning finger and said, You're gonna sit right there and goddamn well listen to every last word I got to say. I spent almost 40 years of my life bouncing back and forth in the street to the hospital. And in all that time, there hasn't been one single soul that ever sat down and actually listened to what I got to say. Not once. So you shut your mouth and you listen, or I swear to Christ you'll be eating breakfast in the tank tomorrow morning. Listen, but not judge, I said to my boots. Right. Come on, you can't. I can, he rasped. Don't you dare judge me, you ignorant son of a bitch. Were you there? No! You snot-nosed punk! You don't know jack all about nothing! I held up my hands in surrender and said, Okay, I'm done. Continue. What happened after you hit your wife? Mr. Reinert stared a couple of smoldering holes through my head and grunted. I let her go and she ran off to cry in the bathroom. Wouldn't you know it? As soon as the door shut behind her, the spiders were gone. Poof. Just disappeared in the blink of an eye. That horrible fucking itch was gone too. All at once. I wasn't mad anymore. I just felt drunk and tired and scared. My hand hurt like a dirty bastard. My mind was spinning off to every direction at once. There was something going on. Some bigger scheme that I couldn't quite understand. I didn't see the whole picture yet. But I knew I was getting close. I drank another beer and popped one more while I sat there and stared at the wall. I don't remember falling asleep, but I woke up to snow on the TV screen. The sky just starting to get lighter in the east. My first thought when I opened my eyes was... I need to take a drive right over to Elton's place right away. I popped some aspirin and snuck into the kitchen to grab my bottle of Johnny Walker before I left. I nipped away at it while I drove into town. I drove past his house and seen there were lights on inside. I parked just around the corner, where he wouldn't be able to see the van from his front window. It wasn't long before a car backed out of his garage and he could have knocked me over with a feather because it wasn't Elton's white Cadillac that pulled out of there. It was the hippie in his crown vic. Mr. Reiner drained the last dregs of his non-alcoholic beer and stared morosely at the empty can. He went past me and I followed him with my headlights off. The kid drove to an all-night gas station at the edge of town. I waited a little ways down the road while he filled up his tank. When I seen him go inside to pay, I rolled up in the van and waited for him to come out. The little bastard didn't know I was there until I popped on the headlights. He froze like a rabbit for a second. Then he took off running for his car. I threw it in gear and squealed after him. When he seen he wasn't going to make it to the car, he tried to scamper back to the gas station. I hit the ground running and tackled him headfirst into one of the pumps. 
Mr. Reinert slapped his hands together to mimic the sound it made when the young man's head cracked into the pump. It made me wince, but he flexed his hands and smiled his way through the pain. Mr. Reinert was clearly enjoying this part of his narrative. It was his favorite part of the story. I dragged him back to the van by the scruff of his neck. The kid was only half conscious, just sort of waving his arms around in the air and moaning, Don't do it, man. Please don't. His face was completely fucked from the beating I'd laid on him the day before. He looked like someone painted him five shades of purple, all swollen and cut up. Just a complete fucking mess. He started making some noise when I tossed him in the van, so I squeezed his air off with both hands and told him to keep his mouth shut. I tied him up with a couple of extension cords and shut the door on his crying. The clerk was peering at me through the window, so I pulled my hat down low and peeled out of there. I headed north and drove up the old gravel pit. The pit was abandoned back in the 60s and it was just a giant scummy old pond by this point. Most of it was rainwater and fertilizer runoff from the cornfields. It reeked like a shithouse. I dragged Mr. Dipshit over to the edge of that dirty cesspool, and I said, You got to explain yourself, mister, right now. He said, I didn't do nothing, man. You're fucking crazy. Well... That wasn't the answer I was looking for, so I held his head under the water and counted to ten. I pulled him out and asked him if he was the son of the bitch that stole my tools. He says he's never stole nothing from nobody, and I laughed at him. I says, well, look, we got a goddamn saint over here. Let's give him another baptism. The kid started crying at me with all the please bullshit, but it didn't do him no good. This time I held him under until I counted to twenty. When I let him up, I asked him again if he stole my tools. He said, I'm sorry, man. I needed the money. And that pissed me right off. I slapped him in the mouth and told him I needed the money too, cocksucker. Now what about the truck? What did you put in the oil? It ate away all the seals. The kid tried to say he didn't know nothing about that, and into the drink he went. I held him under until the bubbles stopped floating to the surface. He coughed and choked and blubbered until he puked in the weeds. I stood over him and waited till he was done. I said, You better talk to me, boy. You tell me everything right fucking now. Or so help me, Jesus, I will drown you like a rat. The kid looks up at me with puke on his chin and squeals. I'll tell you whatever you want to know, just don't do that anymore. I says, that a boy, tell me who put you up to this, and don't you lie to me. Well, Mr. Reinhardt grinned. It wasn't a surprise at all when the kid says, Mr. Hyde paid me to do it. He called me into his office and said that a guy could make an easy hundred bucks if they could keep their mouth shut. He gave me an address and he told me to break into your garage and steal your tools. He said, clean him right out. I don't care what you do with the stuff after, just clean him right out. 
He called me into his office again a couple of weeks later and handed me a plastic bottle. He said he'd give me another hundred if I poured the stuff in your oil. Mr. Reiner turned his grin up to the ceiling, basking in the memory of this validation. He purred. I asked him how much he charged to move all those stakes that were marking the post holes. And the stupid little shit. Jesus Christ, no word of a lie. He actually kind of frowns and starts griping for fuck's sake. He says, only got 50 bucks. It wasn't no fair. That was a lot of work, man. I got a full hundred for the truck and that took like maybe two minutes at the most. Fucking hell, the old man grimaced. He says that and right away that itches back and it's bad. It's eating right through the back of my brain. The spiders were all around us. So many of them, they blocked out the sunrise. And in the dark, I grabbed the hippie by the ears and I twisted. I grabbed those dirty goddamn ears of his and I fucking twisted them like a radio dial. He screamed and I screamed right along with him. Screamed and laughed and screamed some more. <laughs> a kid hollered. I didn't know it was you. I needed the money. I couldn't say no. <laughs> and now you see. Mr. Reinert's voice was taut with emotion. His narrow features were almost writhing in an ecstasy of righteous affirmation. It was all connected. He paid one of his grunts from the mill to do his dirty work. You know why the bastard hired me to put up his fence? To keep me close. That's why. To have complete control over me and my destruction. He wanted to break me in every way possible, and he wanted a front row seat to watch it happen. Okay. But why? It was more of a plea than a question. Why would he want that? You better believe I was aiming to find out. But the asshole lying there in the weeds didn't have no more answers for me. I knew what I had to do. I stood up and raised my arms and I opened myself to them. Mr. Reinhardt nodded grimly at my revolted expression. It was bad, he said. They poured into me through my ears and down my throat, up my nose and my ass and down my cockhole. They even pushed through my eyes. Just hundreds and thousands of them, streaming into me every which way they could. They burned like fire. The pain was unbearable. When it was finally over, I was just standing there, weeping like a child while the kids stared at me with his eyes bugging out of their sockets. It was a minute or two before I could trust myself to move, he murmured. I felt different. I felt like I was vibrating at a higher frequency. I felt powerful. I smiled down at the kid and he cringed away from me because he felt it too. <clears throat> he felt the power coming off me in waves. I went back to the van to scare up an old rag and some twine. I laid the rag out flat at the edge of the water 
and piled up a bunch of stones in the middle. The kid said, What are you doing, man? Hey, talk to me. I ignored him and tied the four corners of the rag together. It made a bag of stones that weighed about ten pounds. I thought that would probably be enough. I knelt down beside him and patted him on the shoulder. I said, I don't give a fuck if you knew me or not, but maybe you were just doing what your master told you to do, like a good dog, and I can't blame you for that. But you still bit me, son. Now, I gotta put you down. The kid started bawling and screeching for help, trying to roll away, and I gave him a good stomp on the kidney. I tied that bag full of rocks around his neck and the twine and told him, Have a good look at the sunrise. It's your last one. The kid was crying so hard he gave himself a nosebleed. He tried to give me the song and dance about leaving town, slobbering and bleeding all over himself. And I says, Can it, asswipe? I won't see you ever again this way, neither. Mr. Reiner, I breathed. Come on, man. You didn't. The joyous triumph in his eyes made me feel sick. I did, he crowed. I threw the son of a whore into the water. He struggled to the surface, but not for long. I waited until the water was still again before I left, just to be sure. I gazed out the window at the bird feeder and tried to imagine the last few minutes of the victim's life. His terror and confusion, the gleeful madness dancing in his tormentor's eyes. I asked the old man's reflection, where did you go next? The old man's ghostly twin gave me a crooked smile in the window. I wanted to pay a visit to my old pal Elton Hyde, but I needed to have a word with the missus first. There was a reckoning at hand. There were questions that needed answers. And by Christ, she was going to answer them. Mr. Reinert's rattling breath hitched in his chest, and he was doubled over by another coughing fit. When it had run its course, he spat the vileness that had been expelled from his lungs into the wastebasket and croaked, Give me another one of those fake beers, kid. I'm dry. He pointed to a cooler that was tucked beneath the table. I plucked a can of no-name, non-alcoholic swill out of the inch or so of cold water that was slowly warming up at the bottom of the cooler and tried to hand it to him. Mr. Reinert shook his head and grumbled. Pop the tab for me. I can't hardly do it no more. I swallowed my distaste for the man and did as he asked. He took a trembling swallow and groaned. It's like dying of thirst when there's water all around you. I can't drink the real stuff anymore. Liver's shot. Lungs are shot. Everything's... rotting away. Hi. What happened when you got home? I interrupted. I was caught somewhere between complete disgust for the man and eager impatience to hear his story out to the bitter end. I didn't want to listen to one more word from this elderly degenerate's mouth, but at the same time, I was burning to hear it all. 
I drank down almost a quarter of the bottle of Johnny Walker by the time I pulled into the driveway, he said. Didn't even feel it. I was humming like a live wire. I felt like I was stretching my own skin, like I was 300 pounds of gunpowder crammed into a matchbox. I slammed through the front door and hollered, Florence, where are you? It's time for a reckoning, woman. Flo was nowhere to be found, but I could smell something cooking in the kitchen. There was a crockpot of stew bubbling away on the counter, and beside it there was a note that said, I fixed you some supper. It might be the last meal you'll ever get from me. I don't know what got into you last night, but I won't stand for it. I took the kids and went to my mother's house. We won't come back until you fix whatever is wrong with you. Please take care. Mr. Reinert bared his yellowing, picket-fenced teeth in an unconscious snarl. He choked out. I crumpled up a note and threw it in the garbage. Fix what was wrong with me. Fuck's sake. I couldn't hardly believe it. I slammed down the lid and started to walk away. But something made me go take another look in there. The old man rubbed his temples and grimaced. It was in there, way down at the bottom of the can. She tried to cover it up with some plastic bags, but the top of the box was just barely peeking out. It was a package of decon, and it was empty. I looked at the box, and then I looked at the crock pot, and I looked at the box again. I knew what she'd done. But I didn't want to believe it. It was just too much. Mr. Reinert blinking away a sudden brightness in his eyes and drank deeply from his fresh can of near beer. Now there was only one way to prove to myself what I already knew to be a fact. I grabbed a pry bar from the van and brought the crockpot outside. I walked out to the backyard and called, Hey Fido! Come get some vittles, you stupid son of a bitch. The neighbor's dog comes barreling over the sticks, his snout to the fence, happy as hell that I finally noticed him. I gave him a little taste of the stew off my finger. His tail was wagging, and he started jumping at the fence, barking and drooling and carrying on like the dumb fucking mutt that he was. I could see that no one was home over there, so I pried off a couple fence boards and let the mutt slip through onto my property. I lured him to my shed with the stew and set it on the floor. He was already wolfing it down as I closed the door. When it was gone, he scratched at the door and cried to be let out. I knew the process was going to take a while, so I went inside and drank some more booze while I paced around the house. I finished most of the bottle and I still couldn't feel it. All I could feel was this strange hum all through my body. I could swear my feet weren't touching the floor when I walked. Mr. Reinert paused his narrative to watch two sparrows pick away at the contents of the bird feeder with quick, darting movements. These two have been coming round pretty regular for a while now, he said. Crafty little buggers. They team up on the bigger birds and give them hell until they fly away. The dog, I prompted. 
The tiny smile that had bloomed on his lips while watching his feisty little sparrows wilted into a scowl. The dog, he echoed. I waited until five o'clock or so before I went out to check on him. He was lying on the floor, shaking like a leaf. I could see that his nose was bleeding. That's what happens, you know. They get ruptures and bleed out from the inside. Anyway, I'd seen enough. I couldn't let the mutt suffer no more, so I pulled out my flick knife and I... Okay. My voice was tight in my throat. I get it. Solemnly, Mr. Reinhardt intoned. There wasn't no pleasure in doing that. I had to do it. I had to be absolutely sure before I... Well... Before I took it the rest of the way... I was never an abusive man, Brent. Never was. But I couldn't stand for it, could I? No, sir. It was time for a reckoning. I was rinsing off my knife in the kitchen sink when the phone started to ring. Right away that otherworldly hum kicked off into high gear. I felt that maddening, burning itch flare up everywhere in every fiber of my being, and I knew who it was before I even grabbed the phone. I picked up the handset and I didn't say nothing. I just waited. Finally, a voice says, Florence, is that you? Did you do it? Of course it was Elton on the other end of the line, Mr. Reinhardt hissed. They were in it together, Elton and my wife. How could I not see it? They were plotting together to grind me down and bury me in the dirt. Oh, I saw red. I saw nothing but a curtain of red. But I held my tongue and I hung up the phone. There wasn't no point in wasting words. I grabbed my knife out of the sink and jumped in the van. I was just starting to back out when a cop car comes pulling up to block the driveway. An involuntary thank God dropped out of my mouth before I could stop it. Mr. Reinhardt looked amused. The cop was an old bull with a crew cut, had a belly on him like a prize hog. He strolled up to my window with his hand on his holster and says, Hello, sir. How are you today? Are you Douglas Reinert? I says maybe I am. Why? The cop nods like he expected something like that and goes, I'm investigating a serious assault and possible kidnapping. Are you Douglas Reinert, sir? Is this your van? I smiled to myself and said, It is. And I am. Are you accusing me of something? The cop nods to himself again and slaps his hand down on the roof. He says, Can you step out of the vehicle, please? Come on out. Well, I'm sitting there and looking at this cocksucker smiling away at me, and I knew. Mr. Reiner chuckled. I knew that Elton paid the son of a bitch to come finish me off. He wasn't investigating a goddamn thing. He was there to execute me. Make up some story later. Who would give a shit? The papers would all say I was a maniac on the loose. No one would ever know the truth. 
They'd probably given the key to the city for gunning me down. So I tell him, Sure, officer, whatever you say. I reached for the door handle with one hand while I snuck my knife out with the other. He stepped back to give himself some room, and as soon as I got out of the van, he pulled his gun on me. We looked at each other dead in the eye, and he says to me, We're going in the house now, Douglas. Walk. Make any sudden movements and I'll shoot you in the back. I asked, How much did he pay you? And the cop blinked at me in surprise. Turn around and walk into the house, he says again. I laughed at him and said, They tried to drive me crazy and it didn't work. They tried to poison me and it didn't work. Now this. Fuck you. And fuck them too. You can go ahead and do your dirty business right here in the goddamn driveway. The cop wipes the sweat off his forehead with his free hand and barks at me. I told you to turn your ass around and walk in that house, boy. Get moving. I was lunging for him before he'd even finished his sentence. Mr. Reiner cackled. I knew he was about to pull that trigger before he did, and I shifted just a little bit to the left, just in time. I felt the breeze from the bullet part my hair. And then I had him. He tried to fight me, but it didn't do no good. I was humming on a higher cycle. I was ten feet tall and faster than the wind. I slammed him up against the van and I held him there with one hand while I jabbed the knife in his belly. He screamed, Oh, Jesus! and tried to push me back, but he was alone and I had the strength of thousands. I held him there and stuck him like a sewing machine. When I let him drop, his guts were hanging out and his eyes looked like a couple of glass marbles all shiny and blank. I stared at him mutely, trying to process it all. I saw that Mr. Reinert was looking noticeably worse as his story wore on, which was no mean feat when you consider how terrible he'd already looked at the start. I was starting to feel pretty bad myself. It was almost as if the hatred and sick paranoia had somehow made the very air around us become toxic. I could fully understand why Marla was looking forward to his demise. Mr. Reiner was poison. What did you do with, you know, the body? I asked. The old man shrugged and took a long swallow from the can. I tossed it in the trunk of the cruiser, he said. Pulled it out of my way and left it on the side of the road. I knew they would be coming for me. I didn't care. My life was already ruined. The only thing left was to even the score. A reckoning, I said. He gave me a solemn tilt of his chin and a nod. I backed up to a puddle of blood and left my driveway for the last time. It was time for a long overdue chat with my good friend Elton Hyde, and then I'd be off to have a word with the missus. And after that, Mr. Reiner gazed out the window with a wistful expression, a caged bird who had never truly been free. I figured there wasn't going to be an after, he finished. He looked exhausted. 
That's where I was wrong. There was an after. And it's been dragging on me for much too long, Brent. I'm glad that it's almost over. I'm so goddamn glad. I glanced at the clock on the wall and was surprised to see that it was almost two o'clock. I'd been listening to Mr. Reiner talk for over an hour. My ass was starting to get numb and I'd never wanted some fresh air so badly in my life, but Mr. Reinert's tale was drawing to its tragically inevitable conclusion. I would soon be free to escape his odious sphere of influence. I didn't bother sneaking around this time, he said. I just pulled right into his driveway and walked up to his front door. I knew he was in there, and he was expecting me. That was fine with me. It wouldn't make no difference at all. He was one man, and I was legion. I was ten feet tall and faster than the wind. I could hear the clouds scraping the sky, and I could see every single pore in the concrete under my feet. And I knew, Brent. Mr. Reiner tapped a bony finger against his temple. I knew things no man has any right to know. There was random information flying in and out of my head, stuff about people and places and all kinds of things. I knew the front door wouldn't be locked. And sure enough, it wasn't. I stepped out of the heat and right into a wall of cold. Elt had himself some central air, that's a fact. I walked into his living room and dragged my knife across his big leather couch. And I yelled, Come on out here, fat boy. Don't make me come looking for you. It weren't long before Elton comes stepping out from behind some fancy French doors, and I'll be damned if he didn't have a big smile on his face. I told him, You got nothing to smile about, you son of a bitch. Me and you are going to settle the score. Elton just smiles even bigger and beckons me to follow him. He says, I got something you need to see. He slips back through the sliding doors and I rush after him, faster than the wind and humming like a live wire. I went after him and I saw him standing at the end of a long hallway. He was peeking through another door and smiling away to himself. <coughs> he puts his fingers across his lips. And he motions for me to come have a look. <coughs> Mr. Reinhardt's words screeched to a phlegm-choked hole, and he inhaled with careful, controlled desperation from his cylinder. All at once, he panted. I feel this hot, ripping agony all over my body. I had enough time to say, oh, sweet Jesus. And then they were spraying out of me like a fucking fire hose. My ears, my mouth, every which way they came in, that's how they left. I tried to scream, but I was choking on them. I couldn't even fall down. I was frozen right on the spot by the sheer force of it. I was shaking like I was being electrocuted. When it stopped, their power, their confidence... It was gone in an instant. 
was all alone in the world. Alone and scared. And I didn't want to see what was in that room. Not at all. Mr. Reinert lifted the can to his lips with a trembling hand. It sloshed over the rim and spattered his pants with foam. He threw it at the window with a curse. The impact made the glass shiver. Outside, the birds at the feeder exploded in a panic of cascading feathers. Nope. Not one bit, he gasped. Elton acted as if he didn't see none of that happen. He looked back at me and said, Come on, come see this. I shuffled down that hallway all alone and I forced myself to look through the door. It was Elton's bedroom. He had this king-size bed in there, you know with four posts and a big walnut headboard, and who do you think was sleeping in that bed? Who do you think was all nestled down in there, sleeping snug as a bug in another man's bed? I said, it was your wife, and was surprised by the hoarseness in my voice. Mr. Reinert nodded slightly and tried to keep his lip from trembling. A trail of tears slipped down the gaunt plains of his cheeks. He didn't bother to wipe them away. I stumbled back and Elton pushed me down the hall with that smile of his, just marched at me and shoved me along with that shit-eating grin until I was cowering against his front door. He says she was never yours. Those kids aren't yours either. Nothing was ever yours. It always belonged to me. Now get your sorry ass out of my house and don't you ever come back. And then he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, this son of a bitch. And he threw me out. Mr. Reiner buried his face in his hands. His wire-thin body quaked with the ferocity of his sobs. It was an ugly thing to see. But I didn't look away. Reckoning, he wept. Oh, there was a reckoning, you bet there was. Only it was me on the receiving end, wasn't it? I crawled to my van on my hands and knees. I didn't even have the strength to stand. I drove back out to the gravel pit and sat in the shade of a sumac tree. And I was alone, Brent. I was alone as any man has ever been alone in this world. The spiders had abandoned me, but they left their darkness behind. I sat by myself in that darkness until later that night, and then I drove back to Elton's house. I dumped some hardware out of a couple glass jars, and then I filled the jars with gasoline. That was enough. I sat up straight and shouted, No, no more. I'm not doing this. I rose to my feet, but Mr. Reinert nailed me in place with his red-eyed glare and kept right on talking. It went up fast. Mr. Reinert wheezed. Real fast. No one got out. I watched and made sure they didn't. The fire department didn't even notice I was hanging around, but some cop eventually wandered over and asked me what I was doing there. 
I told him I was watching the fire. He shakes his head at me and says, Get the fuck out of here, weirdo. Just then, another cop wandered up to get a better look at me, and he yells, Hey, wait a second, Hank. Grab him. Grab that motherfucker. He's the guy. So I jumped on Officer Hank, and I tried to get his gun. The old man murmured. I almost had it, too. But the other one shot me. He pointed at a spot just beneath his left collarbone. Hit me right there, he said. I went down. He wanted to put another one in my skull, but Officer Hank wrestled his gun away. I was put on trial for five counts of murder. I asked, five? How was there? And then it hit me like a slap. Florence hadn't taken the kids to her mother's house after all. Mr. Reiner burned his own children alive. Mr. Reinert closed his eyes and said, My lawyer told me if I didn't plead insanity I'd never be free again. I told him I wasn't crazy. I told them all I wasn't crazy. But no one believed it. They had everything all mixed up, see? They said I found out about my wife's affair and I snapped. They said that kid was a drifter and he never even knew Welton Hyde. The cop I killed in my driveway was supposedly out interviewing suspects in the kid's disappearance. But that was just a story they made up to hide the truth. He came there to kill me. The old man glared bitterly out the window and added, Hell. They went so far as to say that I forced the neighbor's dog to eat an entire box of decon. And that's not how it happened at all said I poured it down the mutt's throat before I stabbed him to death. But that was all wrong. God damn them. I know. I've always not... But you don't know, I interrupted. And I was gratified to see the old man's expression change when he realized that his time was up. The session was over. The confessional was closed. And the power balance between us had tilted out of his favor. His pallid face flushed a faint rose color and he blustered, Listen to me, shithead! You don't... Listen to yourself! I snapped, and despite my aversion to the thought of touching him, I had to resist the urge to throttle the man right then and there. You don't fucking know! None of this makes any sense! Why would Elton try to call your wife at your house if she was already asleep in his bed? Why would she try to poison you if she'd already run away to safety? Because she was... What? Because she was evil? Come on, man. There's nothing but why at every turn. And you don't have an answer for any of it. You're delusional, Mr. Reinert. You're sick. Fucking face it already, man. Jesus Christ. Mr. Reinert met my eyes with an even gaze and said... I thought they were all gone, but they weren't. Not entirely. Some of them stayed behind. It wasn't me who burnt that house down. It was them. When they ran out of the room at the hospital and kicked me out in the street, the spiders kept me alive. I'd done some bad things over the years, it's true. But I also done some things that only seemed like they were bad. I always knew more than I should. More than any man should. 
They were always a part of me. And now that I'm dying, Mr. Reinhardt smiled a reaper's smile, and he tapped himself on the chest. Now that I'm dying, they're dying too. He brought his hands to his mouth and hacked up a lungful of his inner decay. With a malevolent twinkle in his eye, Mr. Reinhardt raised his cocked hands to me like a chalice and said, See for yourself. I looked down into the hollow between his palms and uttered a shrill scream. I tripped over my chair and fell to the floor with a wham that shook the walls. My flailing hand slapped Mr. Reinhardt's garbage can as I hit the carpet, knocking it over and spilling its contents everywhere. There was something weakly struggling in the thick ooze that Mr. Reinhardt had gleefully held out for my inspection. I don't know what it was, but I can say that it almost looked like a spider. Not really, but it was close. If you understand what I mean. It was close enough. The things that came crawling out of the garbage can looked much the same. Although I couldn't really say for sure because I was already running out the door before I even knew that I was back on my feet. I left my tools behind. I pounded down the stairs and shoved Marla aside when she tried to get in my way. She went sprawling with a squawk of surprised indignation. And I was out of there, sprinting for the van and squealing away from the curb with a pedal to the floor. I went back to the shop and told Sal that I was done. He chased me out to the parking lot, puffing with the exertion of hauling his bulk at such a brisk pace and he demanded I tell him why I was quitting. I had nothing more to say. I was just done, and that was all. I jumped in my car and drove off with Sal still yelling at me in the rearview mirror, and that was the last I ever saw of him. I was done. I would never work as an electrician again. I became an accountant instead. I mostly do personal taxes and small business stuff. It's easy work, and the money's nice. I flushed the pills a long time ago, and that was that. I've walked the straight and narrow ever since. Life is simpler now, and I'd like to think that I'm happy. However... I do have one rule that I follow religiously, no matter what. No basements. Not ever. I avoid all basements like the plague. That's where the spiders are. You've been listening to The Summer of 79 by author T.W. Grimm. I love happy endings. Too bad about old man Reinhardt, though. I guess he just had a lot to get off his chest. Or out of it. 
<laughs> I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumb from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's story was brought to you by T.W. Grimm. Grimm is a self-published horror novelist from southwestern Ontario and the author of 99 brief scenes from the end of the world, tripping over twilight, when the stars fall, and the promises we make in December. Now available on Amazon.com. To learn more about T.W. and keep up with him, visit his official blog at twgrim.blogspot.com or follow him on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012 including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. <laughs>
to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.